patriarchal age or the patriarchal period of the Old Testament runs from Genesis chapter 12 through Genesis chapter 50. And it includes the lives of four patriarchs, four men. Abraham, Genesis chapter 25, Isaac in Genesis chapter 25 and 26, Jacob in chapter 27 to 36, and then finally Joseph, Genesis chapter 37 to 50. Now, Joseph is one of the sons of Jacob. As a matter of fact, he's which son? The second? Levin's son. Who is the twelfth son? Benjamin. So Joseph was the eleventh son. He was one of Rachel's two children. Rachel had two children, Joseph and Benjamin, and Joseph is the eleventh son. Now, Jacob's dates run explicitly from 1915 to 1805 B.C. 1915 to 1805 B.C. How many years is that? 1815 to, uh, 1915 to 1805. Now, you're going back, you know. You're not going forward. How many years? No, 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 no. From 1915 to 1805. 110 years you're going back when you're looking at it. Now, there are certain points in Jacob's chronology. Let's take our Bibles and look at these. Uh, there are certain indications. The first one is Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 37, verses 1 and 2. Genesis 37, verses 1 and 2, we read these words. Now, Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a soldier in the land of Canaan. And these are the generations, or this is the history of uh, Jacob, Joseph, being how old? So Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery because Genesis 37 tells us the story of Joseph being sold into slavery. Joseph is 37 years old. Number two point of chronology, Genesis 41, verse 46. This tells us the age at which Joseph was when he was released from prison and exalted by Pharaoh. Genesis 41, 46. How old was he? 30 years old. So he sold into slavery when he was 17, and he spent probably two years, maybe one year, two years, in Pharaoh's house, and, after, and then Pharaoh put him in prison. And he was in prison about 12 years. And that made a total of 13 years from the time he was sold into slavery until the time he was brought out of prison and exalted by Pharaoh. Now, how old was he when he was revealed to his brothers? Well, look at Genesis chapter 45, verse 11, the third item of chronology. Genesis 45, verse 11. How old was, was he, when he was um, when he was revealed to his brothers? Is that right, Genesis 45, 11? Yeah, that's right. There he says to his brothers, I will nourish thee, and for yet there are how many years of famine? All right, how many years of plenty? Seven. Seven. Seven years of plenty. And there are seven years of famine. Well, if there are yet five, how many have already gone by? Two. So seven and, and two is nine. How old was he when he was brought out of prison? 30 years old. 
30 years old. And that's the year, the first year of the, year, of the seven years of plenty. So you take 30 and add seven years of plenty, that's 37, and there yet how many more years of famine? Five, so that leaves two that's already gone by. So you add two to 37, and how old, and this is when Joseph's brothers met Joseph, and Joseph manifested himself to his brothers. So that means 37 plus two, how many years? 39 years old. 39 years old when he was revealed to his father. Now the next one is Genesis chapter 47, verse 28. Genesis chapter 37, verse, um, verse 28. And we read, How old was Jacob uh, when he died? Jacob lived in the land of Egypt how many years? 17 years. Well, he was 130 when he went down. That's in Genesis 46. And he lived 17 more years. So he had 17 to 39. And how old was Joseph when his daddy died? What's 39 and 17? What would that be? 56. Is that right? All right. He's 56 years old. When his daddy died. Now the last one is Genesis chapter 50, verse 22. He was 56 years old when his father died. Father was in Egypt 17 years. And uh, Joseph was 39 when his father came down in Egypt. Father stayed 17 years, so 39 and 17 is 56. Now in Genesis chapter 50, the verse, the last verse in the book of Genesis. How old was Joseph when he died? 110 years old. 110 years old. So that's the chronology of, Je of Joseph's life. How old was he when he sold into slavery? 17. How old was he when he was seduced by Mrs. Potter for about 18? How old was he when he was put into prison? About 18, 18 or 19. How many years did he spend in prison? 11 or 12 years. How old was he when he was exalted? About 30. How old was he when his brothers came down and he manifested himself to his brothers? They went back and brought Jacob back on down to Goshen. He was about 39 years old. How old was he when his daddy died? About 56, 57 years old. And he was 110 years old when he died. Now, one other thing before we look at the 11 points or 12 points that you have in the outline. What is the significance of Joseph's life? How many chapters did God spend in telling us about uh, the creation of the world? Well, just one chapter, really. The second chapter focuses on, Genesis 2 focuses on man's environment, his culture, and the command he was put on, and how God gave him a wife. He, God used but one chapter to tell us about creation. How many chapters did he take to tell us about the whole story of Joseph's life? About 14 chapters, you see. 14 chapters. Now, if you've been writing the Bible, how many chapters have you probably spent on the story of creation? Probably 14. And how many on Joseph's life? Probably about one. But you see, that's not God's perspective. 
That's not God's perspective. God is interested in getting before us in the Old Testament. First, those great critical events in Old Testament history that led up to the coming of the Messiah. That's why Genesis 38, an unusual chapter, is found in the book of Genesis. Secondly, God is interested in giving to us in the Old Testament those great stories that will help us, that will serve as examples and warnings to us in our Christian life. That's exactly what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that these things happen to them, to Old Testament saints, for our example and their warnings to us. And if I had to do it again, I would see to it if I were rearing some boys, I would see to it that I would go regularly over the life of Joseph because there's probably no story in the Bible that's more, um, uh, more pertinent and more helpful to young lives, to young boys, than the story of Joseph. Joseph, in those 17, 18, 19 years, well, up to 30 years of age, learned some critically important lessons that a young man needs to learn when he's growing up. What? Well, the matter of purity, the matter of, reducing, uh, of rejecting, refusing to get involved in immorality, proper attitude toward his parents, uh, the lack of any sense of revenge in his life, uh, and especially the attitude of working hard and doing well even when nobody is watching you. Wherever Jehovah's were put, down in General Potiphar's home as a slave, in prison for 12 years, or as a prime minister, Joseph always worked hard and excelled at his work. And Joseph learned in those young formative years some very important traits. What is the significance of Joseph's life? What is the uh, purpose for all these 37 chapters, uh, uh, 14 chapters? Well, the significance of Joseph's life lies primarily in this. Joseph is God's providential instrument by which God brings Israel into Egypt. Let me say that again, because that's the key to Joseph's life. God, Joseph is God's providential instrument by which God brought Israel from Canaan into the land of Egypt. Now, that was promised back in Genesis 15. Let's take our Bibles and turn over to Genesis 16. Uh, uh, two, three hundred years before Joseph was born, God predicted, well, many years before that, many years before that, couple, uh, probably three hundred years before that, God predicted to uh, Abraham that they would go down into Egypt. Look at Genesis chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. Genesis 15, verse 12. When the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham. And lo, horror, great darkness fell upon us. And God said to Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them about four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. What is that nation in which they will be sojourners? What land? Land of Egypt. Land of Egypt. And God predicted that he would bring his children, or the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, 
down into the land of Egypt, and they'd be sojourners there for over 400 years. Now, how did he get them down there? Do you suppose if, if God appeared to Jacob and said, Jacob, get on down to Egypt, that Jacob would have gone down? Probably not. Why? Well, he had already spent 20 years way up north in, in, with Laban, and he didn't like that at all. He had already spent 10 years getting back home, and those were years of heartache and tragedy. When his boys disgraced him in the city, when his daughter was violated, her purity was violated by the men of a certain city, when his wife died a year after he got there. No, he wouldn't have gotten down there by himself, probably not. But God, in his providence, though he did not approve of it, God saw to it that the brothers of Joseph sold Joseph into slavery rather than killing him. And Joseph was brought down in Egypt. And in his providence, he got into prison. And in his providence, a butler was taken. He helped the butler in prison. And that butler was brought out of prison. He interpreted the dream of the butler. The butler was brought out. And the butler forgot about Joseph. Well, that was an evil thing on the part of the butler. But that was a good thing on the part of Joseph. Because if Joseph had gotten out when the butler had been released, Butler told him about Pharaoh, about Joseph, and Joseph been released. Joseph might have gone home. See, might have gone back to the land of Canaan. But in the providence of God, uh, the butler forgot about Joseph, didn't say anything about it. So a few years later, Pharaoh had a dream. Nobody could interpret. The butler's mind was stirred up. He remembered Joseph, told him about Joseph, and Joseph was brought out of prison and interpreted the dream of Pharaoh, and Pharaoh exalted Joseph to the prime ministry of the greatest empire of its day. He was number two right under Pharaoh. And when the famine struck, where did Joseph's brothers come from, Canaan, down to what place? Down to Egypt to get food. And who was the man, who was the uh, secretary of the interior and Secretary of Treasury and Secretary of Defense, all three in one at that time. Joseph. And he was the man with whom they had to deal when they wanted that corn and food. Joseph. See, and the providence of God, Joseph was there. And through that, Jacob and all the family, all of his family, 70 souls came down into Egypt and were down there for the next 430 years. Now the question arises, why did God bring them down into Egypt? Well, probably, we'll see this next time, probably for three reasons. We'll not look at the verses now. First reason he brought them down from, uh, from way up here in, you can see up here where it says Hebron, way down to the land of Goshen, down to the land of Egypt. First reason was for preservation. He wanted to preserve them both physically and spiritually. So God brought them down here uh, from Canaan down into Goshen where he could preserve them both physically so they wouldn't be destroyed by the Canaanites and preserve them spiritually. Already Esau had begun to intermarry with the idolatrous Canaanites. Already Reuben had secured Canaanite wives. And as they began to intermarry with the Canaanites, the distinctiveness 
and the monotheism which they embraced, the one God, would soon be gone. God knew that. So he brought them down to this place, this isolated place, Goshen. Isolated. Where the family would develop. Preservation. Second reason that God brought them down there was for the purpose of multiplication. When they went down to Egypt in 1876 B.C., there were about 70 souls, 70 people. When they came out of Egypt, Exodus 12, 37, there were 600,000 men alone. Now you take 600,000 wives and two children, you see what you got? Over 3 million people in 430 years. Now Exodus chapter 1 tells us that God gave supernaturally to the Israelite women great powers of conception so that the families had large families down in Egypt and he protected them from being from dying and gave them good health so that they increased from 70 to what? Well, 250, uh, two and a half million, three million, to between two and three million people. 600,000 men alone when they left the land of Egypt, Exodus chapter 12, verse 37. So the second reason was to isolate them in the land of Goshen for the purpose of multiplication. Third reason he sent them down there, the greatest intellectual and educational center in the world was down in Egypt. And Moses was trained in all the arts and sciences of the land of Egypt. And you know, we, we think that they were dum-dums in those days. They didn't know much. But the Egyptians were the ones that discovered that, uh, that every year we gain or lose one-fourth you know, of a day if we operate it in a certain way. Six hours. So we have to stick in once every four years. What is that day called we have to stick in there? Leap year. The Egyptians discovered that long before the days of Jesus. They were the ones that discovered it, and they discovered it by watching the fall and rise of the River Nile. And they kept charts on that over several hundred years. And by keeping charts, they discovered that they lost some time or had to gain some time that way. And they inserted it. The Jews did it by waiting longer and inserting an extra month. They'd have to wait almost, I guess, 100 years and insert an extra month. We do it by inserting one extra day every four years. Now, you multiply four by 30, you get the month that you'd have to stick in there. And that's about what they did. And the education was great. God took his people down there. The land of Goshen, land of Goshen, very fertile. It's part of the Nile River. It's like the, like, the, like the area down here in the Mississippi, down around Tunica. It's right down the Mississippi Delta. And further on down, very, very rich, fertile land down there. But also, <clears throat> it was the buffer between Egypt and all the invading armies. So there are both pros and cons in this. Assets and liabilities. Very rich, isolated, since the Israelites were shepherds and the Egyptians hated shepherds. You know, just like 100 years ago out the Western Plains, the cattlemen didn't like the shepherds. The Egyptians didn't like shepherds either. So they put them way up here in Goshen, 
isolated in the providence of God where they couldn't be contaminated with the idolatry of the Egyptians. Isolated. And here is where they developed from a family into a nation. This is what I call the period of Israel's pregnancy. When she developed from the conception, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, until she was born as a nation, uh, a large nation, by that 430-year period in the life of um, Israel. Now, having looked at that by way of introduction, there are 12 events we want to look at quickly in the life of Joseph, 12 events. <coughs> now, the, you know, people divide them different ways. You could have three events and subsume some of these. I've done it by this manner to make it easy to follow. Number one, Joseph is sold into slavery. That's Genesis chapter 37. You recall that story. We hardly need to uh, say anything about it. You remember that uh, Joseph's father showed, which is a poor trait, favoritism toward Joseph. Joseph dreamed a dream. And in that dream, you remember the stars and the sun and the moon bowed down to this great star. And then the sheaves bowed down. And Joseph, unwisely, 16, 70 years, years old, unwisely told his brothers about that dream. And, of course, they didn't like that. Naturally, they didn't like it. And that was rather unwise. And then Jacob showed favoritism toward Joseph, so that made, um, that, that rubbed against the grain of the brothers. And they didn't like Joseph. They didn't like him. So they decided when it was convenient time to put him away. You remember the story? The brothers are out, ten of them out there, way, way out, tending down at Dothan, Dothan, tending the sheep. Joseph's daddy, unwisely, knowing all the dynamics of the situation, Joseph's daddy unwisely sent Joseph down there with some food. Joseph went down. He didn't find him at the place where they're supposed to be. I like this. You know, certain people have the tendency in work that they're assigned a job, that they do that job, but if they can't find a way how to do it, they just stop there. They don't try and find any other way to do it. Not Joseph. See, these are the things that stand out in Joseph's life. He got down where his daddy told him to go. They weren't there. The, a lot of people said, well, not here. I can't find him. I'll go back home. I even tell my daddy I just couldn't find him. See, When I came into the presidency of Mid-South Bavakai, I remember that Brother Reed said to me he, uh, again and again, memory said, what the board wants is not reasons, excuses, why you didn't do it, but how you did do it. And I've never forgotten that. <laughs> I never forgot that. So Joseph got on down there, didn't find him. He could have said, well, uh, Dad, I just couldn't find him. But instead of doing it, he knew that what his father wanted was not an excuse why he didn't get him. He wanted the job done. So he scouted around, found they were another place, got on down there and found them. They saw him coming. Here's this griever. Let's put him to death. Let's put him to death. So they stuck him down in a pit, and they're going to kill him. The older brothers were abhorred by this. They said, no, no, we're not going to have blood on our hands. So they saw some Midianites traveling, very well-traveled road, on down to Egypt. They pulled Joseph out, and they sold him to the Midianites, or they're also called Ishmaelites. And Joseph, at the age of 17, was sold into slavery and taken down to Egypt. Now, that was a traumatic experience. Taken away from home, 17 years of age, brought on down to Egypt, 
and sold into slavery, became a slave to General Potiphar. And that story is given to us in Genesis 37. Number two, the story of Judah and Tamar. This is uh, Genesis chapter 38, a sad story of um, a sexual lapse by Judah with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. And that's given to us in Genesis chapter 38. The reason it's given to us is that Tamar is in the line of the Messiah. She's in the Messianic line, Matthew chapter 30, uh, Matthew chapter 1. Genesis chapter 39, the third event. Joseph's humiliation in Egypt. Genesis 39 and 40. Is that on your outline, point number three? Is that right, point number three? All right, fine. I want to just be sure, at least I ask that. I know the answer. I know it. I wrote it. I know it. See, the reason I want to know is that you're not looking at the newspaper, but that you're looking at this. All right, here's Joseph's humiliation in, in Egypt. Genesis 39 and 40. How many years? Thirteen years. He was sold into slavery at 17. He's taken out of prison, out of prison, one, the age of 30, Genesis 41, 46. Now, there are two events, two humiliations. First of all, he's a slave to General Potiphar. Let's read chapter 39, verse 1. Job was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, where he was put in prison, an Egyptian, brought, bought, bought Joseph of the hands of the Ishmaelites and, and had him brought down there and he became a personal slave in the home of General Potiphar. Now, I think you recall the story. General Potiphar had to be away from home quite a bit, and Mrs. Potiphar was lonely, and Joseph was 17, 18 years old. He was a good-looking boy, apparently tall and handsome, good-looking boy, and she got a crush on him. So she tried to seduce him. Day after day, she said, Come, lie with me. Come, lie with me. Day after day after day, Joseph said, no, no, I can't, I can't sin against God and do this thing against my master. No, I won't. Finally, one day, he grabbed his cloak to force him, and he left that cloak and ran out of the hole. Well, you know the old saying, hell knows no fury like a woman spurned. Why, when General Potiphar came back home, Mrs. Potiphar said, look, here's his coat, told the servants and told him, here's his coat. This young man you brought in tried to attack me, and I uh, grabbed his cloak, called for the servants, and he ran away. But here's his cloak, his evidence. Well, it was pretty hard for General Potiphar to dispute his wife on this point. He called Joseph in and put him down into prison. Didn't kill him. Why do you think he didn't kill him? I think the reason he didn't kill him is that General Potiphar suspected the truth, but he couldn't act against his wife. And Joseph was silent. I like this. Joseph was silent. Rather than standing up and telling the truth, knowing that it would break up a home, Joseph was silent. Didn't say anything. And Potiphar sent him on down to prison. That was the first humiliation. Humiliated in the, in the house of Potiphar, lied upon by a woman, and sent to prison. The second humiliation 
is that humiliation when he's put into prison. He's put down there in the prison. And that's given to us uh, uh, in Genesis chapter 39, verse 20, to Genesis 40, verse 23. Look at Genesis chapter 29, verse 20. Genesis 39, pardon me, verse 20. Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were bound, and Joseph was there in prison. That's verse 20. Now look at very carefully at verse 21. And Joseph said to himself, Man, how did everything turn out so bad with me? How did everybody, how come everything's against me? The Lord has certainly dealt me a bad set of cards. No, that's not what he did at all. Joseph did not indulge in self-pity. Verse 21, but the Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Joseph got busy and worked. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, Joseph was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not, he didn't have to worry about anything. This young man, 19, 20 years of age, worked so well, was so trustworthy, a man of integrity, that the keeper of the prison put everything in his hands and didn't have to worry about it. Not anything was under his hand because the Lord was Joseph, was, and, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Well, you know the story of Joseph in prison, in prison about 12 years, I suppose, from the age of 18 to the age of 30. While he was in prison, working hard, never complaining, all 14 chapters, you never read one word of complaint on the part of Joseph. There he is in prison. Instead of indulging in self-pity, and instead of plotting revenge on his brothers and on Mrs. Potiphar, Joseph gets busy and goes to work. You know work is a great healer. Work is a great healer. Time and work, great healer. And a great antidote. To, to a person sitting around and indulging uh, and getting the slough of despond and indulging in self-pity. So Joseph got to work, worked hard, went the second mile. You know, I like second-mile men. Do you know what I mean? I like a second-mile man. And Joseph was a second-mile man. That is, he just didn't do what his job was. He did more than what his job was. And he did it well and did it excellently. So the keeper of the prison put everything in Joseph's hand. One day, the butler and the baker had a dream. You recall that? One of them, both of them dreamed. And uh, they, didn't, they were perplexed. What did this mean? And so Joseph said, uh, God is able to tell me what those dreams mean. Uh, well, what do they mean? Well, said he said, the butler, your dream means that within three days, Pharaoh is going to take you out of prison and exalt you back to your former position, which was a very important position in Egypt, the butler. Then Joseph said to the second man, the baker, he said, it's not so happy for you. In three days, Pharaoh is going to take off your head. So in three days, just as Joseph predicted, in three days, Pharaoh exalted the butler, and he put to death the baker. Joseph said to the butler, now when you get out, and you're going to get out, when you get out in three days, you speak a good word to Pharaoh for me. Tell him what I did, and ask him if he could do something 
to get me out of this prison because I'm in here for no wrongdoing. Well, the butler got out, was restored to his position, and forgot immediately about Joseph, didn't say anything. Maybe he was afraid to take sides of a prisoner who was put in prison by General Potiphar. So he didn't say anything. There he is in prison. And that was the second humiliation which he suffered. All right, the fourth thing we find in, in, in Joseph's story, number four, is Joseph's exaltation. How many years in prison? About 12 years in prison. And while he was in prison, God was developing Joseph's character. Now we come to Joseph's exaltation. First is humiliation. Now is exaltation. And, and he's about, look at Genesis 41, verse 36. He's about 30 years old when he's exalted. Genesis chapter 41, verse 36. And that's not the verse. 46, all right, Genesis 31, 46. Uh, 41, 46. And it is the book of Genesis. Now, I got that right. <laughs> Genesis 41, 46. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Now, that's the age of his, uh, that he was brought out of prison. Now, you remember the story here. Joseph's exaltation. Uh, Pharaoh had a dream. And in that dream, uh, there were two parts. First of all, he, he, he dreamed that there were seven, seven fat, fat cattle that came up out of the river, the River Nile. Seven great fat cattle that came out of the River Nile. Soon after those seven fat cattle came out of the River Nile, in Pharaoh's dream, seven very thin cattle came out, and they ate up the seven fat cattle. But in eating up the seven fat cattle, they didn't get any fatter. Then he dreamed that seven big corn ears of corn came up, and then after that, seven very scrawny ears of corn, and the seven scrawny ears of corn ate up the seven fat ears of corn. Well, that bothered Pharaoh. He called in his wise men, magicians. None of them could interpret the dream. Suddenly, the light went on in the butler's mind. He said to the king, he said, oh, I remember something. Back yonder in prison when I was there was a young man. His name was Joseph. I dreamed a dream. The baker dreamed a dream. Three days later, exactly as this young man, Joseph, dreamed, interpreted the dream, the dream came true. I was elevated to my former position, and the baker was put to death. This man has a God-given ability to interpret dreams. Why don't you get him? Now, he didn't say anything about how he should have mentioned his name. He forgot that, you know, conveniently. He didn't mention that. So Pharaoh said, all right, bring the young man out. So they brought Joseph out, and he shaved. And that was in Egyptian days. When you appeared before the king, you shaved. He shaved. The Bible says he shaved. Then he appeared before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said, tell me. Uh, they tell me that you can interpret the dream. He said, yes, I can, but God can. Not in my power to interpret dreams, but God is able to interpret dreams. What does it mean? Well, this is what it means. He said, those seven fat calves, those seven full ears of corn, mean that there are going to be seven years of plenty, seven tremendous, fruitful years 
when the crops are going to be great. But after that, there are going to be seven years of famine. The Nile River, the Nile, uh, the, the Nile uh, uh, cultivates the land of Egypt. You know, it starts way up in Central Africa, and it comes down. They've got dams that control it now, but they didn't have dams in those days. And the Nile would overflow once a year, and that silt would carry down overflow about six to eight miles on either side, and then recede. Uh, that was the that was the uh, land in which the very fertile land in which they they planted and harvested their crops. If the Nile if the, if the rains way up yonder in Central Africa was sparse, then the Nile wouldn't overflow. And if the Nile didn't overflow, then Egypt would suffer devastating famines. And they happen from time to time. So there were seven years of plenty, he said, and there'll be seven years of famine. Now, said Joseph, let me suggest something. Let me suggest something. Took the bull by the horn, said, let me suggest something. He said, let me suggest that you look about for a young man, for a man, that's why and has proper economic insight. And why don't you put this man over, over all of the economic life of Egypt, and during the seven years of plenty, gather in all the grain and store it away. Then when the seven years of famine come, he'll be able to distribute that grain to the people uh, as the seven years of famine go by. And Pharaoh was impressed by that. He said, we don't have to look around for that man. It's a good idea. Here's the man right here, Joseph. He said, Joseph, I'm going to make you that man. So he gave him a special ring and a special robe. And Joseph, the Bible says, rode in the second chariot. First chariot was for the king, the second chariot for the prime minister. And Joseph was right under Pharaoh. And Pharaoh discovered that Joseph was such a man of ability and a good business head and a man of integrity and perfect honesty that he didn't have to worry about anything. He put everything into Joseph's hand and let him run the whole economic uh, program of the land of Egypt. In the following seven years, plenty gathered in all the grain. When the famine came and it struck not only Egypt, but it struck also Palestine, Egypt was ready for the famine because of the foresight, the forethought of Joseph, and of course, ultimately, because God had laid that upon his heart. So that's Joseph's exaltation. And he was honored and exalted by Pharaoh, and he supervised the food collection and the storage. Number five, now we come to the great part of the story, the encounters of Joseph with his brothers and his final manifestation to them. Number five. The encounters of Joseph with his brothers and his manifestation. Genesis 42, verse 1, to Genesis 45, verse 28. <clears throat> now the brothers make two visits. The brothers make two visits down to Egypt. First visit given to us in Genesis 42, verses 1 to 38. Let's look at Genesis 42, verse 1. Genesis 42. Well, look at Genesis 41. Verse 56, the last two verses, chapter 41. The famine was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened up all the storehouses and sold unto the Egyptians, and the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. And all the countries came into Egypt 
to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was so severe in all lands. Now when Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, Jacob said unto his sons, his ten sons, why do you look one upon another and say, what are we going to do? He said, behold, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Get you down there to Egypt. Buy for us from there that we may live and not die. So the brothers, verse 3, Joseph's ten brethren went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now that's the first visit. You remember the story. They get down there and they meet Joseph. He was 17 when they lost last saw him. He's now 39, 22 years later. And they don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. But they don't recognize Joseph. They wouldn't have the slightest idea that Joseph would be exalted the prime ministry. So they're not even looking for him. They don't recognize him. And uh, he gets down there. And he talks to them, asks them about the family. And the upshot is he gives them grain. Well, when he gives them grain, he says he does three things. First of all, he, he, he tests them. He says, I don't believe the story you're telling me is true. Well, it is. He says, I don't believe that you got your father back there and that he sent you down there. I think you're spies. He was testing them. No, we're not. Yeah, I believe you are. Well, he said, if you are, I'm going to ask two things. First, you leave one of your brothers here. So they left Simeon, and Simeon was put down in prison. They left Simeon. Second, he said, when you come back, bring that youngest brother you told me about, Benjamin. Don't come back unless you bring him. So he sent him away. But when he sent him away, he put all the money that they had paid for the grain back into their sacks. And, of course, they didn't open their sacks until they got back home. And when they got back home, opened up the sacks and found the money, they were both glad and yet somewhat terrified. They wondered what, what is their conscience began to work on this thing. And that's what God was interested in. Their conscience began to work on this. So they, that food lasted for about a year, year and a half. They're out of food again. Jacob says to his sons, boys, uh, uh, he, he, when he got back, they, they tell him what happened. They said to him, Daddy was a strange man. He wouldn't believe us. He kept our older brother, Simeon. He's down there in prison. And Daddy, they said, he told us, don't come back and expect any more grain unless you bring your youngest son. And Joseph, Jacob threw his hands to heaven and said, all these things are against me. The pessimist. All these things are against me. I have a sermon that I preach from time to time. Three outlooks on life. Second Peter 3, the view of the skeptic. All things remain the same. That's the dogma of evolution. Uniformitarianism. Nothing ever changes. That's Tom Paine and Thomas Jefferson. We're both deists. All things remain. No change, no miracles, no supernatural intervention. Secondly, there's the believing pessimist. Pessimist, that's Jacob. Always looking on the dark side of life, all these things, life is stacked against me. All these things are against me. And then there's the, then there's the Christian, the believing optimist. Joseph, you meant it for evil. God meant it for good. Or, Paul, we know that all things work together 
four, good. Three outlooks on life. Jacob represents the second one. So the food gave out. <clears throat> Jacob said to his sons, boys, I want you to go back on down to Egypt and get some more grain, get it from that man. And they said, Daddy, you remember what he said to us? He said to us, don't. Don't come back unless you bring your little brother. And Jacob said, absolutely not. Boy well, said, Daddy, we can't go back there. No use going back. Well, the famine got so severe that finally Jacob said, all right, you're going to bring me down to my grave. The way you've acted, and you're so human. He got mad at me. He said, why did you even tell him that I had a little brother? You had a little brother. Why did you even mention that? Well, they said, Daddy, we had no way of knowing that if we told him, he would say, don't come back unless you bring your little brother. We had no way of knowing that. And finally, Jacob said, all right, go on down. Go on down to Egypt. Take Benjamin. But if you don't bring him back, you're going to bring me down to my grave. You don't bring him back. Jacob's my son of my old age. If you don't bring him back. I only had two sons from Rachel. One arm was torn, you told me. One arm was torn by the beast. He's gone. Now Benjamin is the only other one that reminds me of Rachel, for whom I worked seven years. If you don't bring him back alive, I'll die. You'll bring me to my grave. So the boys with heavy heart, heavy, heavy heart, made their trip on back down to Egypt. Second visit. They got down there, and they were welcomed by Joseph. Joseph brought him in. How is your father? Fine. Who's this? This is our little brother, Benjamin. And, and Joseph had to excuse himself. He was so overtaken by emotion. He went outside another room and wept. And then he composed himself, came on back, and he said, make a meal. Sit down. Make a meal. So he made a meal. And when he seated them, <laughs> he seated them in the exact order of their ages. And the Ten brothers knew something was wrong here. They knew something was wrong. Sat them in the exact order of their ages. And they had a dinner. Then he gave them the grain. And he said to the servants, he said, going to send that grain back, put their money back in the grain, each sack. Then take my cup. Very important thing to an Egyptian, a cup, because not only was very represented well, the silver cup, but often the Egyptians used this like, like uh, they use tea leaves today. Or like the Romans read the future by the entrails. So they would use the cup to divine the future. It was a very important thing. So he said, take the cup and put it in the little boy's sack, Benjamin. And they slipped the cup out without anybody knowing about it. They slipped the cup in there. And the brothers left. And after they'd gone about, oh, six, eight hours, Joseph said to his, to his military men, the tasha, he said, go after them, get them, pick them up, open their sack, tell them somebody stole my cup. So they caught up with Joseph's brothers, and they said, our master's cup is missing. What have you stolen? And they said, no, none of us have stolen. Yes, you No, we haven't. They said, if it's found, whoever sack it's found in, let that man die. So the soldiers opened up the sack, beginning the eldest, right on down, 
Ten sacks were open, nothing in here. He opened Benjamin's sack, and there was the cup. And the boys were distraught. They were distraught. They knew what this would do to their daddy. But something else happened. Look at Genesis chapter 45. Genesis chapter 45, verse, is it Genesis 45, Genesis 44? Uh, Genesis chapter 45, 44, verse, uh, I thought it was verse 16. Well, Genesis 44, verse, uh, yeah, it's all right. Verse 15, 12, 44, 12. And he searched. The man searched the, the sacks and began at the eldest and the seats of the youngest. The couple found in Benjamin. Then they tore their clothes and loaded every man his ass and turned to the city. And Judah, Judah and his brethren came to Joseph's house. For as yet there, they fell before him on the ground. Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Know you not that such a man as I can certainly divine know the future? Judah said, What shall we say unto my Lord? Judah's a spokesman. He said to his brother Joseph, not knowing it was Joseph, What can I say? I can't say anything. I'm speechless. What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear out? God has found out the iniquity of thy servant. Now, when he said God has found out the iniquity of our servant, Jacob, um, Judah, was not referring to that cup or to the money. Judah was referring to what happened 22 years ago. That's on their conscience. They mentioned that once before in Genesis chapter 43. They mentioned that once before, the ill that they had done to their, the ill that they had done to their brother. And now again they mentioned it in Genesis chapter 44. God has found out the iniquity of thy servants. See, their conscience is troubling them. They did something 22 years ago. That thing got into their conscience, and it's never been, uh, it's never been relieved. When this thing happens, that thing comes to the forefront of it. God has found out the iniquity. God has found out our iniquity. God has discovered what we did 22 years ago. And this incident, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. And this incident is bringing it to the front. God has found out the iniquity of, of thy servant. And so Judah says, Judah says, now listen. Judah says, to Ju hey, please, he said, oh, uh, we've got a father at home. He's uh, 130 years, almost 130 years old. If we don't bring back this little boy, Benjamin, my daddy will die when he hears the news. Now, said Judah, I'll tell you what. I'll offer myself. Let Benjamin go back. I'll stay here as a prisoner for all the rest of my life if you will let my little brother, Benjamin, go back home to his daddy. I think too much of Benjamin. And I sure think too much of my father. I don't want to see my father die. And to save that, I'm going to offer my, I'm offering myself as your prisoner, even if you want to kill me, if you'll let my brother Benjamin go. Now, you see, 
Joseph, we would say at first that Joseph was pretty tough on his brothers, slipping that money in there, slipping that cup in. No, Joseph had wisdom way beyond his years. Joseph knew that if, if proper relationships were going to be reestablished between himself and his brothers, that thing that happened 22 years ago had to be brought out, had to be brought out of their conscience because it weighed on them. And it had to be brought out between the relationships. So this is the way that Joseph did it. And he brought it out this way. The boy said, God has found out her iniquity. And Judah's whole attitude is now changed. And he said, I'll offer myself. And when, when, when Judah said that, Joseph knew that God's grace had worked in the heart of the brothers. And he had brought them to a plaza place. So Joseph said, said to the servant, would you mind excusing yourself? And when they excused themselves, there were only Joseph and the eleven brothers, including Benjamin in the room. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Well, that must have been a day. That must have been an hour. Do you have any imagination? I am your brother. I'm your brother Joseph. Well, now you know there were due motions. They were relieved, they loved him, and yet they were scared stiff. What's he going to do? All right, let's look at Genesis 45. Here's the great heart of the story. Genesis 45, verse 1. <clears throat> then Joseph could not control himself before all of them who stood by him. And he cried, caused every servant, every Egyptian to go out to me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph wept aloud, and the Egyptians of the house of Pharaoh heard it. The weeping was so loud. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father yet live? And his brothers could not speak, because they were terrified at his presence. And Joseph said to his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near. He said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold in Egypt. Now, therefore, be not grieved nor angry with yourselves that you sold me here, for God did send me before you to preserve life. For these two years has the famine been in the land. There yet four, four, five more years. Verse 7, and God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. Now look back at verse 4 and 5 because that's the heart of the story. Joseph said at the end of verse 4, uh, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. You sold me. You sold me. But in verse 5, what else took place at the same time? God sent me. You sold me, but what? I, I want you to look up here. You see what Joseph had? Joseph had a strong grip on what's called providence. Joseph knew that nothing came into a person's life, a believer's life, apart from the providence of God. Joseph knew that God screened everything that comes into our life. So you sold me. You're responsible. He didn't alleviate their sin. You sold me. But God sent me. And since God sent me, and God is ultimately responsible, and he's working out his purpose and plan, I'm not going to take any revenge on you. 
Do you know what a strong grip on the providence of God did for Joseph? It kept him from the cancer of revenge, eating him out on the inside. Do you know what's destroying a lot of homes in Memphis, Tennessee? You know what destroys a lot of homes? The cancer of revenge gets down inside. Get even. Get even. Even between husbands and wives. And between fathers and children. I get hurt, hurt. Somebody has done something. I have a legitimate claim against them. It hurts me, hurts me deeply. So I begin to plot how I'll get even. And that thing begins to dominate my mind and my attitude. And it changes my whole personality. And it's self-destructive. But Joseph had a strong grip on the providence of God. See? And that saved him. From revenge, he came out on the inside. He didn't say, you're clean. He acknowledged their guilt, but he said, I'm not going to take any revenge. I'll let God deal with you. I won't. I'll let God deal with you. Because although you sold me, God sent me here. And then in Genesis 50, later on, he said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. So he finishes out by saying, go back out there, get your daddy. Bring them on down here to Egypt. Bring the whole family down here. So we read the next section. We'll have to go quickly. Verse number 6. Joseph's whole family, the whole family of Jacob comes down to Egypt. Genesis 46, 1 <clears throat> to 47, 12. The whole family comes down into Egypt. Let's just read about two verses. Look at chapter 46. Verse 1. In Israel, they, the brothers went back to Canaan, and they said to their daddy, Jacob, Joseph's alive. He wants us to come down there and to be with us. So verse 46, Joseph took his journey, all that he had, and came to Beersheba, offered a sacrifice. God said to Israel in the visions of the night, said, Jacob, Jacob. He said, here I am. He said, I am the God, the God of thy father. Fear not to go down into Egypt, for I will there make of thee a great one. That's one reason why God brought them down into Egypt. I'll make of thee a great nation. So verse 6, they took their cattle and goods, which they got in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his seed with him. Now you know the story. They came on down to Egypt, and Pharaoh, because he thought so well of Joseph, said to Joseph, <clears throat> Give to your, bring your father down. Let me meet him. He met him. And he talked to him. And he said, how are you? Well, he said, I'm 130 years old. And he goes on to say, few and evil have been the days of my life. I don't figure out how he gets 130 years to say that's few. But that's what he said. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Always the pessimist. Few and evil have been the days of my life. Always looking on the dark side. Jacob the pessimist. Always. Yeah, and you know, that's one reason I don't believe in psychological determinism. The great pessimist was Jacob. The great optimist was his son, Joseph. And so Jacob says, talks to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, give them the land of Goshen. He gave them the land of Goshen, a very fertile land, and they went down to the land of Goshen, and there they were settled. Then the next thing, Jacob, Joseph's economic policies and handling the famine. And in number eight, Jacob's final days, 
chapter 48. Then, then there are two events, chapter nine, number 9 and number 10. Chapter 48 and chapter 49. Number 1, Jacob blesses the sons of Joseph. And, chap, and number 10, Genesis 49, Jacob blesses his own sons. Now, will you look here? Tell you those quickly. Jacob says at the end of chapter 47, I know I'm going to die. I've got it, what, another month, and then I'm going to die. So I want to do two things. First, Joseph, you bring your two boys. And I want to bless your two sons. So he brought Ephraim and Manasseh. And, and, and he, he was almost blind. In fact, he was blind. So uh, Joseph put the two boys so that Manasseh was on Jacob's right, where his right hand, the hand of, of primary blessing <coughs> would be. Then he took Ephraim and put him on the left. But, but Jacob crossed his hand. Joseph said, Daddy, that's wrong. Jacob said, no, I know what I'm doing. Put his right hand on Ephraim and the left hand on Manasseh and gave a double portion to Ephraim and said he's going to be fruitful. I'll give him a great land. That's Transjordan today. And Jacob predicted that that was going to be the most fruitful section of the land. Transjordan, the most fertile section of the land, and the land, you know, today, that's a, a great heart of conflict. Transjordan, I'll give that to him, but I'll also give a blessing to Manasseh. Then in Genesis 49, Joseph said, Call in all my twelve sons. And he called them all in. And all the twelve boys sat down. See, Daddy is 147 years of age now. He's all ready to, he's ready to die. Sits down with his twelve boys, and he, 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 says something about each one of them. And each one of them is a prophecy. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah. The scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh with a capital S. Shiloh, the peace giver, comes, referring to Jesus. And all 12 tribes, he pronounces a blessing on them, but it's not simply a blessing, it's a prophecy. And you could read the prophetic structure of the nation of Israel from Genesis 49, a very important chapter. Then at the end of Genesis 49, Jacob gathers up his feet into his bed, and Jacob dies. His life is over.